0: Well, this should now be working. Um good evening everyone. It's episode 192 of uh, of rail matter. Uh today we will be doing a a page turn through the Salisbury rail crash report. Um hello, hopefully you can all hear me. Um before we do that, um I would have been talking about the covid stats. However, uh, the DFT um you know putting uh, the potential for conspiratorialism to one side, the DFT have um Taken the uh, taken the feed offline. They've withdrawn the National Rail with Elizabeth line time series from the published data tables. Ostensibly, this is due to due to the the issues that 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 that, that are associated with that um, data set. Thanks to the way that Elizabeth line is being incorporated into the um, into the overall National Rail statistics. Uh, uh, there's a good um, th- there's a good piece kind of talking about that that I'll refer to in a minute by uh, John Bull over at uh, London Reconnections, but. It means that uh, really the only source of data we have is uh, thankfully recently re- released um, ORR passenger rail usage bulletin, which um, has loads of good 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 data in it, um, where you can see uh, kind of pretty uh, this this is filtered data as it were. Uh, you can see that the uh, we're kind of getting back to where we where we were pretty recently in terms of in terms of uh, pre and post COVID statistics. So uh, that that four hundred million passenger journeys mark. Um, yeah, you can see that, that the pretty rapid growth trajectory that we're that we're looking at there—a very rapid spring back, relatively speaking. Um, yeah, and uh, if you want to have a, a kind of a flick through those numbers, um, John Bull. His uh, piece in lunar Connections, well worth going and having a look. Um, uh, have a look at that. Have a read. Um, it might be nice to get uh, John Bull on an episode actually to talk about this. In any case, we're going to go back through the, uh, the that or our bulletin in a couple of episodes, I think, because uh, it'd be worth kind of digging through and, and and getting a feel for it. In any case, um, this week we are looking at the RAIB Rail Accident Report. Um, Uh, We will be looking at the collision between passenger trains at Salisbury Tunnel Junction. There's a small picture here showing uh, crashed trains. But yes, I should say uh, there will be a um, uh, there will be a a content warning coming up momentarily. In any case, um, everyone, welcome to tonight's show. City Two Two Five fades into darkness. Um, we must start with some news. Uh, in fact, before we start with the news, uh, we're going to briefly talk about uh, Britain's most embarrassing moment so far. Uh, but uh, before we do that, I'm going to make my large face appear. Hello, everyone. In fact, I'm missing a piece of technology here. Wait for it. Ta-da! That's a bit better. Hello, how are you all? It's big face. Uh, yes, I'm here, going big face because there's two things, two pieces of technology that I need to uh, resolve don't worry about that, one of them is um, actually bringing up the crash port, which I forgot to tee up, so that's that's good, uh, which I've now done, good, marvellous, the other is uh, unhiding this, there's a thing I need to unhide, and put down at the bottom of the news, there we go, marvellous, sorry, Um, we are prepared, <laughs> I hope everyone's well. As ever, um, if you've got questions, um, at me in the thing, it's a proper live episode so you can all get involved. A unique feature. Does anyone know any other podcast in the UK that does this, by the way? Where it is basically live. I always look bleached in the thing because the thing is in the thing and the thing does the... Th- I don't have a proper like, nice circle thing so it's a little bit of sodium light shining onto me. Anyway, right, let's let's get rid of my face. Um, oh, no, we don't want to get rid of it. We want this to be the thing that appears. There we are. Get rid of my face. Anyway, right, let's talk about elon musk and uh, and rishi sunak um exceptionally embarrassing moment for the uk is rishi sunak um interviewing elon musk I- that's all i'm going to say about that go and listen to the trash future about it recently it's very funny ha 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 it was i think basically most of what the uh, the interview consisted of forced laughter from our prime minister degrading himself horrifying anyway um more degrading of government but actually it's the covid inquiry which is unleashing um uh, just an enormous amount of stuff we already knew but is still painful to reread um the decision makers uh, were a homogenous group not enough thinking about single parents too much about football hunting shooting and fishing uh, is um a quote here from uh, tom whipple uh, here for the science editor for the times i think um, who's been doing threads kind of keep keeping keeping it in touch with the the, the inquiry here. Um, and, and this is the quote from one of the, the leading uh, women civil servants who are having to deal with the, the, the mess. I'm going to read the whole quote, in fact, not just that s- small bit. In terms of the policy response, the exclusion of a female perspective led to significant negative consequences, including the lack of thought given to childcare in the context of school closures. There's a serious lack of thinking about domestic abuse and the vulnerable, about carers and informal networks for how people look after each other in families and communities. There is not enough thinking about the impact on single parents of some of the restrictions. There was a disproportionate. Proportionate amount of attention given to more male pursuits in terms of the impact of, rest- of restrictions and then the lessening of the same football hunting, shooting, and fishing. There is a lack of guidance for women who might be pregnant or were pregnant, and what those who were uh, key workers should do. This is particularly significant in education in the NHS given the demographics of their workforces. Yeah, this is not unique to. Um, hello railway thinker by the way nice nice to nice to see you uh, some some university offers fantastic news uh, hello Katie, for hello everyone in the chat sorry this is this this is just a description of the state of the top end of government and dis- government decision making at the moment absolutely true within transport as well but this is this is the state of our current government in the UK this is this is the when we talk about why you need to have diverse teams this is why um in any case uh, talking of um, uh, cripplingly incompetent and malicious actors um, Mark Harper here um, uh, just talking about um, <laughs> introducing minimum service levels during rail strikes as many people pointed out as you can see uh, his tweet was uh, enormously ratioed and um, the government cannot achieve minimum service levels on the railways so why should uh, you know why, why is it making out that the unions are somehow the problem here um yes they they aren't um, and uh, and actually incidentally uh, c- c- happening at this point uh, the RMT is currently winning their strike they're once again they're they're currently kind of reaching a provisional agreement uh, things are very much moving but um the RDG is is essentially Attempted to bring the RMT to an agreement um, with with kind of improved pay, uh, a a freezing of or or a a taking uh, job losses off the table, that sort of thing. Keep in touch with the the RMT feeds to get the the latest detail on that and where things are with ballots and and so on. Um, But uh, yeah, so um, Harper trying to make out there's a win. Actually, the RMT are are very much winning this one, uh, quite dramatically, in fact. Um, So. Uh, yeah, most wrong competition latest. So here's a here's a particularly entertaining piece in the Economist, never knowingly correct uh, the Economist, but this is a particularly good one. Which is um, this is the article he- header here is uh, how car addiction makes America fairer and more efficient, with a, a little funny little tagline room to room. Um, obviously this is just gibberish, absolute gibberish. Once again. The Economist being told uh, the extent to which this was absolute gibberish. Um, America is far more car reliant than any other big country, averaging roughly two vehicles per household. This, in turn, is linked to many ills. Um, But there are also some surprising benefits. Was this written by a car? Just, yeah, um, the Economist here really not doing a a great job. Um, Not doing a great job at suggesting it has any uh, uh, legitimacy or integrity at this point. (laughs) Shocking. Anyway... Um, let's talk about some 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 depressing news actually, which is the Britain's ostensibly best metro fleet, the uh, the the Class Triple Sevens, the uh, the Stadlers, the level boarding providing trains are are really struggling with um, with reliability at the moment. Um, there's this yeah it appears that the um, that the, the particularly they're having particular issues with the the IPEMUs, the battery um, element of the fleet. Uh, to, to which my response would be. Just, just, I mean, not wire, but uh, shove the third rail down um, to get, to, get to, to 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 deal with the extension. Um, yeah, this is, this is this is a bit a bit a bit upsetting, really, to see this. I hope Stadler kind of get. They've had a long time, thanks to the union uh, back and forth. They've had a long time to get these trains working properly. So it's it's upsetting that that has not happened. Um, so yeah, I, I think Stadler are. Um, Responding to say that they're that that they you know they're that they're trying to do better, but yeah, this is this is this is upsetting. And and come on, come on, them. Um, you know, train manufacturers need to need to step up a bit. But the trouble is, is, why pay a huge amount of attention to a country that has such a small pipeline? You know, it's they can kind of cope with some of the pain on a small fleet like this um uh the triple sevens can use wires yeah because they're a, a modern interoperable train so they have the wells within which you can put a pantograph and it doesn't take much to convert them um but uh yes um uh, issues issues with the triple seven so keep 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 uh keep paying attention to that the uh the Chart institute of logistics and transport um is uh is not happy yeah is not a happy bunny at this point um so uh what why is this um, well it's because uh hs2 it, this is this is not the first of of, of the continued rippling effects of the, the hs2 cancellation yeah here's richard clinic pointing out um the cilt charter Char- Char- Institute institute logistics and transportation um has published a 10-point plan and it's it's a bit fiery they're not very happy um this is a 10-point plan not all of it is actually a plan um, well-informed, independent inquiry should be set up to establish when, what went so badly wrong with HS2. The answer, of course, being well, not actually that much. Um, uh, this should be led by the individuals who delivered on HS1, who delivered HS1 on time and under budget, supported by seasoned rail professionals. Yeah, it's, they're not really comparable, but okay, I, I see what they're driving at. Um, I could give you the answer in in a, in, a, in an hour uh, or less, and it, it did have and will continue to do so. Um, we recommend, in the strongest possible terms, that the alignment of HS2 Phase Two be protected against future needs and not abandoned as the government proposes. Uh, number three, without HS2 Phase 2, um, West Coast Mainline North of Lichfield will be dysfunctional and cannot provide the much needed connectivity improvements for the North Wales and Scotland. Major bottlenecks will have a highly damaging impact on high speed services to Manchester, Liverpool, Scotland, and North Wales and on freight. Um, um, West Coast Mainline Main Freight Artery, yep, yep, yep. Uh, we recommend an urgent review of options to resolve w, uh, West Coast Mainline uh, constraints, in um, particular the College staff with thrombosis in this major economic artery for UK PLC. I hate that term anyway Uh, the remainder of the 36 billion released from hs2 which we know isn't a thing i wish they wouldn't i wish people wouldn't make that feel real by repeating it should be spent on infrastructure investment for the long-term benefit of the uk economy and environment not on short-term revenue items which do nothing to address the nation's strategic infrastructure needs that's pretty punchy Uh, candidate investment schemes should be prioritized objectively and ranked by their benefit cost ratio which should be calculated using an internationally approved cost of carbon to ensure maximum decarbonisation is delivered. Interesting. A focus on freight and logistics was notably absent from the HS2 announcement. You recommend that much greater emphasis is placed on this economically vital sector. I mean, yes. Uh, Point nine, specifically, we recommend that the remaining single track sections of the Felixstowe to Midlands and North route serving Britain's biggest container port should be doubled in the route electrified throughout. Absolutely. Uh, and then point 10, a uh, thing that I fully agree with, we further recommend another 600 route miles across the UK should be electrified, estimated to cost around $2 billion, barely 5% of the $36 release released from HS2 to allow 95% of rail freight to be electrically hauled with zero carbon emissions. Um, and then the last thing they say, which really should be an additional point, but it says uh, CILT hopes an incoming administration will reinstate the long-term strategy underpinned by HS2 and move forward with the 10-point plan. So basically saying we don't expect the, the government to stay the same, by the next generation. pretty punchy. Anyway, um, meanwhile, uh, the fire sale of land um, uh, gets doused. Yes, yeah, Sunak faces very likely legal challenge. Yeah, look, the, the, um, the rail industry and uh, other groups are... are Will take the um, will likely take the government to uh, to court uh, under a judicial review to um, to stop them selling off the land, which is was an inevitability. Frankly, what's fun though is that everyone's saying fire sale. Now, who came up with that? Who used or not came up with who used that term? And is everyone else spiteful? Fire sale. Who? Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. It's me. When I was when I was interviewed by Helen Pitt for the Guardian, um, Dennis said that's me. Hello, everyone. I knew soon would cancel. What's my voice again? I've done this before, haven't I don't know where I have to quote myself and use my own voice. What's my voice? I knew Sunak would cancel HSD to Manchester, but I didn't expect him to be so spiteful that he would authorise the sell-off of land on the route there. Barely any votes in lifting the safeguarding. It's pure salting the earth to make it extremely hard for Labour to build it. What will happen now is essentially a fire sale. Oh, look, that's me. I said that. The land is not going to be returned to nature. It's going to be developed on. That will make it much more expensive and much more complex should any future government want to build it. That's the level of Scottish accent I wish I had uh, more naturally, but it seems to, you know, it, it, it ebbs and flows. What can I say? Anyway, that's that's me saying far-sale, and it's funny that lots of places have been using that far-sale term when I, I came up with it. It's a little old me. Uh, anyway, here's Paul Clifton um, uh, usefully tweeting out uh, okay. uh, Hugh, Mer- Hugh Merriman here. I always give Hugh, Hugh the, the Welsh pronunciation. I don't know why, just because he spells it the, the Welsh way, so I will say it the Welsh way. Hugh Merriman here. Uh, I convened the HS2 task force this morning, with um, colleagues from a bunch of other people. You know, what's interesting is, um, as Paul Clifton says, I don't see too many familiar faces drawn from top tier rail industry professionals. Yeah, it's interesting that the rail industry seems to be manifestly excluded from this process of, of fixing HS2. Hmm, I wonder why that might be. Uh, related to who um, is his pet project that he seems to be having some success over, which is, which is creating the new Bradford station, the new Bradford through station um so this is this is kind of the, this this well what, what are the details and this has come from a government press release so the what are the details well firstly there's the, the the dft building on its promise of a brand building a brand new railway station at bradford by providing four hundred thousand for the local authority to kick start master planning on the project okay four hundred thousand is not a huge amount that's like the you get, you get a half chunky consultancy report for that fine that that's yeah that that's about as much as you expect for a master a single master planning report 400k fine uh work consider how the new station could best support regeneration yeah 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 fine um and then that that'll feed into the business case fine that doesn't really mean much um uh this is a this is a statement that there's going to be two billion quid to build the station it's a lot of that's a lot of money for a railway station which, you know crikey it'll be the new, and a new line, so that's the connections, so they're they're talking about these sort of connections to to get it to to Bradford. Incidentally, Bradford makes it quite difficult for them to sensibly continue with their standard, standard tunnel, you know, uh, Diggle Tunnels uh, plan, but anyway. um, Yeah, so there's some stuff here, and then this is on top of the further 2.5 billion they're supposedly supporting West Yorkshire Mass Transit with uh, within the Network North um, stuff. So, you know, I... This is some of the stuff that's within Network North. It, it, it's, you know, none of it to be trusted, all of it to be treated with great cynicism. But this is a thing that is being progressed, and at the moment, you know, will it will it continue to be progressed? We'll see. Who knows? Anyway, sorry, that's me sipping a cup of tea. Uh, actually, it's coffee. Decaf. Anyway, um, more bad news. British Steel uh, set to cut up to 2,000 jobs in furnace closure plan. This is bad news. What's also bad news is that the closure of the four blast furnaces at Scunthorpe... Um, is very likely, not certain, but very likely to mean that'll be the end of the production of of steel rails for railways in Britain. Um, That's a problem. We don't have a small railway network. We have one of the largest railway networks in the world. We require enormous volume of railway rails, and having to put those through the channel tunnel, or via a ship, instead of having them shipped out directly from a manufacturing plant, makes no sense. It makes zero sense... Um, and that's precisely what this means. Uh, I wrote about this because this was sort of under discussion quite a while ago when British Steel was uh, about to be in, in demise. So in July 2019, I wrote a piece that, that wound up all the right people, suggesting it was pretty much on the nose, uh, on the money rather. Um, uh, yes, me writing for The Independent talking about um, Network Rail and... Um, and putting in an offer for a bit of British steel um, as it was being um, kind of torn apart. Anyway, there's plenty of detail in there about the closures of, of Mary, Bess, Anne and Victoria and, and the implications on how much rail that, you know, that, that would mean network rail have to source from elsewhere at lower quality and therefore with more likelihood to fail. Um, you know, and I don't mean failure necessarily from a safety perspective, but failure. You know, these are the sorts of failures that will be picked up and have to be replaced, but that increases the burden on maintenance. So, not an ideal situation, um, really. Um, and uh, oh, here's some better news. Uh, well, not for the staff, of course, but uh, some generally better news for for um, practical reality. Uh, once again, as I keep saying, driverless cars will never exist um and uh here's the CEO of cruise which is kind of theoretically the only company actually practically pursuing this uh, or were the only comp- company actually moving people around in driverless vehicles um yes um yeah uh and here's Gary Marcus a, a kind of a tech person um uh, talking about the fact that the, the 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 cruise vehicles, as so many people on Twitter kept trying to tell me that these are truly driverless, truly autonomous, and um, it's quite clear from the statement that was made by the CEO that they are not and never were. Uh, this statement is quite interesting, so I'm going to I'm going to pick into it. Um, it's, it's worth having a think about this. This is the cruise CEO. Some relevant context follows. Um, uh cruise uh, autonomous vehicles are being remotely assisted between two and four percent of the time on average in complex urban environments so that means every time something happens the, the the remote driver is is kicking in um this is low enough already that there isn't a huge cost benefit to optimizing much further given especially given how useful it is to have humans review things in certain situations so again this is basically pointing out what they're doing is they've just created fancy cruise control it's just fancy cruise control um this is not driverless it is never will be driverless and therefore all the proposed benefits of driverless will never exist which then begs the question is this just a way to make you know this is just going to make cars more expensive so what's the value in it anyway um the uh yeah here we are so da 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 da, da. Um, lots of discussion about uh you know um this is all off the you know, there's, there's there's some news that this is related to yeah so in terms of staffing we were intentionally overstaffed given our small fleet size in order to handle localized bursts of remote assist demand and that means that those people all a lot of whom will be in the global south are all going to be sacked um, great. Uh, yes, fantastic. These companies are awful. So yeah, Cruise, um, and then the news basically is that Cruise is beginning layoffs and getting rid of workers who support driverless operations, followed by some of the technicians related to driverless operations. This is because all of their cruise taxis have been um, there was a stop order put on them, uh, meaning firstly that they weren't allowed to operate, and secondly they weren't allowed to operate whilst taking cash, um, because of yet another absolutely appalling. Failure of their safety systems where they dragged someone that they'd already run over under the vehicle um, as it pulled to the side of the road. Absolutely horrific um, situation. Once again, proving that these that, 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 that just that two to that two to four percent technology, you know, extra technology push to get to get or not the technology push rather that two to four percent of the time that where the, the vehicles are, are driven by a person, the technology required to get through that, it, w- it will infinitely never exist. You will never reach a point where the technology can actually deal with the the arrange you know deal with the vehicle the, the road deal with the challenges. So once again, vindicated, driverless cars never exist. Um, on the subject of cars, a rather somber uh, end to the news um, here. Uh, yes, uh, it's always worth digging through the news. There's, there's always some interesting things to look at. I need to thin it out really, but this this is a piece that's worth. Um, dwelling on for a moment which is uh, a piece by tom edwards looking at uh you know thinking you know speaking to the parents and the horror that the parents are having to deal with um from the crash in summer where that that massive defender the new defender rammed through into a school yard you know playground and and, and hit a lot of children um and killed a lot of children um it's it's yeah, it was an absolutely appalling incident. And it just, you know, when I say ban cars in urban areas, I don't mean like, I, I don't mean that as a, as a, as a kind of a, a, an over-exaggerated point. No, I, I literally mean there should be no cars anywhere near schools. There should be no cars anywhere near high-density urban areas where you have build, high build-ups of pedestrians. That just There should be no cars anywhere near those areas. And actually, we should be aiming to entirely exclude cars from city centres, you know, entirely. Uh, and 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 how that then gets dealt with in terms of accessibility for those who perhaps rely on a cars mobility, it needs to be considered. But that is a, you know, there is a long road to go on to understand, you know, the, the baseline is absolutely exclude cars from these, these areas because they kill people. The next step then is, right, well, how do you manage the accessibility challenges? But the solution is not Allow cars. It, the first, the first step is ban the cars. Uh, perhaps a controversial view, but uh, I, I just, I feel very strong on this. You, you, the cars are not the solution. You, 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 they are, they are just absolutely not the solution for urban mobility. Um, yeah, just, um, just uh, horrible, horrifying. Anyway. Uh, I, I put in content warning because there are going to be descriptions and images from rail crashes in this episode. We are looking at a railway crash report, so it's kind of what you'd expect. I hope. Uh, in any case, we're going to look at it. We're going to get the uh, the RIB uh, crash report open. I'm going to make sure that the, uh, the the cursor is on so that you can see. Yeah, there's the mouse, lovely. So you can see the report. Um, let's go. It's going to. This isn't going to be a long, slow one like the current report. The document's not as big. In any case, in fact, let's quickly have a look. How many pages is it? We'll never know because uh, they've they've updated and made yet again. Adobe have updated their document and made it even worse. 113 pages. Don't worry, we're going to be flying through this. So Salisbury, uh, all the usual stuff. Preface. You know, we've 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 done our IB reports before. Um, let's have a look down here uh, so there's, there's the summary but we'll, we'll come back to that we're going to look at the detail um this introduction we've got definitions here fine um up and down often very confusing in this part of the country so that's fine um there's some abbreviations we can explain so some of the accidents let's, let's let's talk about what happened um so salisbury um uh we had the trains uh, uh there's, there's some good diagrams explaining exactly what's going on in just a second so um About uh, 1843, on Sunday the 31st of October 2021, um, train reporting number 1 Lima 53, uh, the 1720 to uh, Southwestern Railway Service from Waterloo to Honiton, collided with the side of train 1 Foxtrot 30, the 1708 Great Western Railway Passenger Service from Portsmouth Harbour to Bristol Temple Meads, and only these trains are both Class 158s, so it's a little trickier for us to... So I'm going to refer to them as this the the SW, as, as the Southwestern and the Great Western. Oh, even that's quite confusing. Oh, goodness. The SWR and the GWR, no, that's confusing. Looks like might be sticking to reporting numbers. Uh, the Lima train versus the Foxtrot train. Maybe we go with that, the the the, the Lima train and the Foxtrot train. So uh, the Lima train was travelling at approximately 50 miles an hour, um, 52 miles an hour, and the Foxtrot train was travelling at 20 miles per hour. Um, the collision occurred at Salisbury Tunnel Junction, which is on the approach to Fisherton Tunnel near Salisbury in Wiltshire. Um, okay, fine. So uh, there was a you know, the signalling was all been uh, uh, you know, previously protecting another train, which passed over the junction in the opposite direction uh, less than a minute before the accident. Um, train uh, the Lima train passed this signal by around two hundred metres before colliding with uh, Foxshot train as we'll see in the, in the next couple of figures. The impact of the collision caused the front two carriages of the Lima train and the rear two carriages of the Foxtrot train to derail. Both trains continued some distance into Fishton Tunnel before the collision, uh, sorry, following the collision before they came to a stop. Um, so here's the, here's the nice map kind of showing what's going on. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll zoom in on this. So we've got this nice map showing what's going on. Um, the... The Foxtrot train having already made its way through, and then the Lima train coming through, uh, the Foxtrot train going much slower, the Lima train going faster um, and uh, approaching the Fishton Tunnel here. And you can see a nice zoomed in thing. Here's Fishton Tunnel, Foxtrot train uh, 20 miles an hour, Lima train going at 50 miles an hour, uh, goes through the red signal and hits the train. So there we go. Um, And here's some pictures of kind of what happened. So you can see here's the um here is the the lima train here having uh, kind of side swept swept the, the foxtrot train which is in you can see the, the picture here you can see that it's come in side swept the the, the foster train the gwr train um, in in the tunnel and and by the damage at the cab end see this the, the you can see the, the the kind of the scale of the impact is a pretty hefty impact a lot of damage to the to the cab end um and, and you know um not you know, I believe the um the the you know the driver is okay but certainly had life changing injuries. Um so the thing is the both the trains were going in the same direction. So uh I'm gonna go with the the, the, the the Lima train was from London. The Foxtrot train was coming from no wait a minute, let's go back and describe that. The the Foxtrot train was going from Portsmouth to Bristol. The Lima train was going from Waterloo, London Waterloo to Honiton. Yeah, yeah, you're right, Gareth. Sorry. Um, uh, people, right? Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to briefly, very briefly. So that's what's going on. So there's, there's the pictures. um The accidents caused substantial damage to the track, the tunnel, and the surrounding rail infrastructure. The leading carriage um of Lima train and the rear two carriages of Foxtrot train were damaged beyond economic repair. The uh, rear two carriages of uh, train of Lima train were less seriously damaged, and the leading two carriages of uh, Foxtrot train were undamaged. The driver of the Lehman train was seriously injured in the accident spent three weeks in hospital. Thirteen passengers were also taken to hospital with one suffering serious injuries, a further ten-passenger retreated at the scene for cuts and bruises. There were two hundred, around 200 passengers and five members of staff on the two trains. Um, uh, yeah, just saying there was also an on-duty driver travelling as a passenger on the Foxtrot train when the accident occurred. So, right, there's the that, that's what happened. I'm going to briefly go big face to answer some questions, because there's stuff flying around uh, in the corner here. Um... Uh, yes so here we go uh, yeah lots of people talk about um, alternatives for electric scooters yeah uh, for 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 cars in in areas uh knucker is uh, saying nothing about the cabinet reshuffle <laughs> There's gonna be two cabinet reshuffles. I've just recorded a podcast that'll be going out um uh, tomorrow morning actually, uh talking about the reshuffle. You can hear my thoughts on that podcast. Um the brief podcast tomorrow morning will be going out. Um yeah, battery tech, uh, good enough now to get decent range on small personal scooters, agreed. Um Yeah, lovely. Okay, fine. Right, good, okay, fine. That's that's that we've, we've caught up with all that. Let's let's get my miniaturized face in the top corner. Hello everyone so there's this, this, this a bit of context we're going to skip through the context because I, I, I don't don't think it's hugely useful here uh staff involved fine um railway systems infrastructure involves so the stuff about the signaling fine this is this is this is a page turn it doesn't mean we page we read through every single page so there's all, all the technology here Talk, talking about tpws um uh the trains involved one was a class 159 um uh, it's a a three-car uh, class one five nine. That was the Lima train, um, and uh, the the Fox train. The GWR was a two-class one five eight. So both basically the same train, um, or the train t- same type of train. They're very similar. As, as this says, uh, Class one five eight and one five nine trains are very similar and constructed by welding aluminium extrusions together to form the body shells. The carriages, which formed uh, trains uh, Lehman and Foxtrot were built between nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety two by British Rail Engineering Limited in Derby. Uh, they basically still build the trains like that today. The, the these, these trains are not hugely close in design to to, to, the, to the kind of the modern uh, Aventra type, but they they're they're not they there's, there's some lineage in the in the in the, in the kind of the design and the construction approach. Uh, both trains had uh, wheel slide protection systems. That is relevant, so we'll kind of cover through that. Um, so there's, there's there's some more detail that will get picked up as we go. External circumstances. Uh, on the day of the accident, this is relevant, on the day of the accident, an unusual type of weather front passed through the Salisbury area, resulting in a decrease of air pressure concentrated in a particularly small region of around 30 kilometres in diameter. This type of weather front, known as a mesoscale low-pressure event, is a relatively rare occurrence in the UK, with only 10 similar events reported between 2009 and the day of the accident. Um... This contributed to the worst recorded weather in terms of combined wind and rainfall data recorded by Metdesk and the Met Office so far that year. Uh, The weather front brought localised strong winds and heavy rain to the area, um, uh, causing major disruption to the Wessex route. uh, Weather stations located near to Salisbury recorded maximum wind gusts of approximately 73 miles an hour, peaking between 8 and 10 um, in the morning. Uh, in the 12 hours preceding the accident, around 21 millimeters of rainfall was recorded, some 36% of the, average monthly, of, of the average monthly rainfall for the year. So 36% of the month's rainfall fell in half a day before the accident. After the weather front had passed, the area remained windy for the rest of the day with peak wind gusts of approximately 23 to 37 miles an hour. Um, and radar imagery showed a band of drizzle passing over the up and down main lines in the area of Salisbury-Town Junction just before the passage of the Lima train. So this is, this is relevant, very much relevant. Um, actually yeah, someone else has pointed out A staff member started their career in 1962 ooh, 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 ooh. started the, the driver of Liam train started his railway career in 1962 with British Railways because they were British Railways back then working as a farmer on steam locomotives and later as a train driver's assistant started driving trains for British Rail in 1982 and following privatization of the industry was employed by Southwest trains and latterly SWR as a driver and driving instructor um, the driver had been based at Salisbury for his entire career and moved to a part-time contract in 2019 that would suggest aiming towards retirement um, yes although driver had been deemed competent uh all competence assessments were in date according and in accordance with the company's trained driver competency management process okay that is that's certainly relevant um yeah uh at the time of the accident the driver's working two days a week driving class, 158, 159 trains. Um, uh, he was then shows to work nine out. OK, fine, 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 yes. So those are possibly salient facts, as the nerd has just pointed out. Thank you, the nerd. Uh, uh, don't forget to at me in if you've got a question so I can spot these things. Um, uh, yes, this is. So this sort of event, the weather event that we just described, uh, as shown in these pictures, that the Met Office radar data, these you know they have occurred before but they are rare but these sorts of weather uh, global weirding means that these sorts of strange extreme weather events will become more frequent so yes this is climate change adjacent Charles Taylor as you as you have rightly pointed out Um, so the specifics of the uh, of of the events and the the sequence of events so let's let's go through Uh, a train not involved in the accident struck a tree that had fallen onto the down main line um uh, so uh yeah there we are so this is uh was this discussion of uh, so this is so there was yeah line was reopened that was in the morning because this, this whole area this whole area had been suffering from extreme weather events all sorts of stuff um this is one of 15 weather related railway incidents that occurred on Network Rail's Wessex route that day um you know fallen trees flooding uh, tree blocking the down main um, at the Salisbury Portal of Fisherton Tunnel, so the other end of the of the tunnel to the one that we that the that the incident occurred. Um, so yeah, there's, there's 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 lots of stuff going on. Um, so yeah, lots of uh, right. So the the driver of train one Lima so i'm just ensuring that i uh, yeah okay right so there's lots of this is as, as ever these things get quite logistically complex so let's hop so the, the, let's let's hop forwards because i think the the exploration of 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 problems will will explain it was dark during the, so we're going to hop for us to paragraph 56 it was dark during the journey from waterloo uh, and weather conditions were dry driver reported that he did not experience any uh, wheel slip um, sorry uh, yeah wheel slip protection or wheel slide protection activity nor any instances of low adhesion that affected the driver the train's ability to slow stop or accelerate at stations um, Between 1835 and 1840 hours, a band of drizzle moved southeastwards over the up and down main lines in the middle Wallop area. The UK is a stupid country near Salisbury. Uh, The drizzle ceased in this area before the Lima train approached it. Uh, There we are. Um, So, this is interesting. The driver. uh, So, here we go. approximately one minute 47 seconds before the accident the um, on train data recorder from the lima train recorded that the traction power had been shut off the train then coasted down the prevailing one in 169 uh, gradient uh nice uh towards signal uh siri yankee 29 romeo uh, 10 seconds later otdr data showed that the driver acknowledged the AWS warning horn for that for that signal Signaling data and forward-facing cctv Show that this signal was displaying a double yellow aspect. This is because the sig- that's the signal uh, Sierra Yankee Two Niner uh, was displaying a single yellow aspect, and the, and the signal um, beyond was displaying a red aspect. So the standard, you know, um, so double yellow, fine progress, single yellow, warning, uh, and that in advance of a of a stop signal. Um, driver approached Broken Cross Bridge with the train still cr- coasting. Uh, let's just skip up Broken Cross Bridge is uh actually it's not on these diagrams but it's kind of on the approach so it's it's kind of it's kind of on this approach um do, 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 do. Uh, so yes um however because he felt there was a potential for low adhesion could so um which da, 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 da. The driver stated that the Broken Cross Bridge was the point where he would normally start braking in anticipation of stopping at signal Sierra Yankee 3-1. However, because he felt that there was a potential for low adhesion conditions at the location of the fallen tree, he decided to delay braking and use the fallen tree and associated debris as the marker point to start braking. The driver believed that this would still leave sufficient time and distance to bring the train to a stand before reaching the, the, the red stop signal. Um, fine, and there's there is CCTV footage showing the passage going past the cut back tree that, that the driver had already kind of um, uh, struck. Fine, uh, in a previous train, uh, so on and so forth. Right, so events during the accident. I don't know. Is it? It's not hundred percent that the driver. Um, I think it is the same driver who had. I think it is the same driver who had the tree strike as was as uh, now ends up so that was yeah one lima one three same driver um branches have been cut back by the train driving guard very you nice know, later reserved by the driver of train one lima five three I, i'm not sure possibly not i'm, I'm not 100 percent on that anyway uh, that may become clearer and salient later uh so um Coasted past that, uh, that that tree at 89 miles an hour. Eight seconds later, the driver acknowledged the AWS warning horn associated with the warning, south of the approaching 50 mile an hour speed restriction. Um, train travelling at 86 miles an hour, so it'd been coasting, so it lost three miles an hour and around uh, 1.5 uh, kilometres beyond the double yellow. Um, the driver, having not noticed the fallen tree, applied the brakes. Ah, interesting. So the driver didn't notice the fallen tree and applied the brakes. At this point, the train was on a descending gradient of 1 in 169, approximately 780 metres on approach to the, the red, sig- sorry, the, um, the, the single yellow signal, and approximately 1.5 kilometres on approach to the red signal. Interesting. Okay. Evidence from the train's OTDR showed that the driver initially selected brake step one, followed almost immediately by a brake step two. When the driver applied the brakes, he stated that he immediately felt and observed that something was wrong. The driver stated that the feeling under his seat indicated that the train's wheels were sliding. The driver realized that the train's speed was not reducing as he expected. Six seconds after his initial brake application, the driver made a step three full service brake application. This was followed a further six seconds later by the driver making an emergency brake application equipment fitted to the train recorded that the uh, wheel slip protection system was active from the start of braking and throughout the various brake applications and this would have demanded the sanding system to discharge sand onto the railhead however this had a limited effect on reducing the speed of the train yikes um, so the you know the Lima train then passed the yellow signal at approximately 77 miles an hour so it's barely knocked off 10 miles an hour at this point still a lot of momentum uh, the train's TPWS des- detected that um, the, the train was traveling above the set speed for the, um, uh, appro- you know, approaching the signal um, and it therefore commanded an emergency brake application. However, this had no additional effect as the driver had already made an emergency brake application by this point. Um, so then the train passed the red signal, approached Salisbury Tunnel Junction and about f- uh, about 40 seconds earlier uh, the F train had passed over the junction on the up, uh, sorry, the F train going the other way thankfully had passed so there was a, what could have been a head-on collision was averted by seconds, which is happens, which is frightening, but the F train going, because they're, they're both F's normally letters would signify going in different directions, but because the train's go in and come back out of Salisbury they're the same it's a bit confusing uh, a messy network in any case the the F the F train that's our train that gets hit in a minute um was also approaching the d- junction going the other direction towards Salisbury the driver of Lima 53 saw train saw the Foxtrot train appear from the left and moved into the path of his train. Believing there was little he could now do to prevent a collision, he got out of his seat with the intention of exiting the cab into the saloon. However, in doing so, he tripped over his bag and fell onto the floor just before the collision occurred. Oh, bloody hell. As the Foxtrot train was entering Fishton Tunnel, the Lima train collided with its its, its right-hand side near the front of the fourth uh, carriage. Uh, evidence from the on-train data recorder on train Lima Five Three suggests that the collision occurred near the front of the fourth carriage. Was that because it was a double? What was the truck train? That's, let me just check. Organization staff. Uh, trains involved. Well, Lima Five Three. Okay ah sorry yes so it's incorrectly earlier stated it's a two car uh, 158 but it was actually two two car 158 so it's a four car formation okay fine um yes so um uh, so the Lima train um let's see collided um with the the front of the fourth carriage evidence from the on-train date recorder on the Lima train suggests the collision occurred at 18.42 and 57 seconds um with the Lima train travelling at fifty-two miles an hour and the Foxford train travelling at 50 mile, uh, twenty miles an hour at this point, so thirty-two mile an hour speed differential between the two trains meant the train Lima five three travelled forwards in heavy contact along the right hand side of the fourth train, uh, fourth carriage of the of the of the Foxtrot train, then continued along the right hand side of the third carriage with the leading left hand edge of the cab of train of the Lima train embedding itself in the front end of this carriage. So here's a nice diagram, kind of explaining what's going on. Um, um yes, Owen O'Neill pointing out the differences between slip and slide. Um uh, but yes, they yes, uh, broadly similar. Um uh, emergency brake versus full service brake, any helpful difference in this situation? I don't believe so, because the 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 tray was essentially sliding along anyway, so you're just you're just the the wheels have locked up anyway at this point. The the the, the wheel slide protection wasn't helping. So here's the diagram. We've got the the Fox train in red, the Lima train in blue. You can see the Lima train whizzing in at speed, colliding with the uh, the rearmost co- car of the four-car uh, Fox shot train, kind of bashing up against through the in, into the four into the third uh, car, um, and uh, and then walloping the kind of walloping through into the tunnel as well, as because it's pushed uh, basically pushed the the, the train to kind of collide with the portal of the of the tunnel which you can actually see in this next image um uh the fourth tra- car of uh, foxtrot train was displaced to the left by the impact resulting in its leading left corner coming into heavy contact with the facing portal wall of fishton tunnel you can see the damage to the wall there you can see pretty hefty a pretty hefty wallop into the into that coach and a lot of damage caused um this caused a failure of the coupling uh, between the second and third carriages of the Foxtrot train, opening a gap of uh, 23.8 metres uh, between the two halves of the train. Oh, interesting. This, this, the failure was actually... It caused a failure not of the uh, the coupling between the fourth and third, but actually it split the coupling between the two separate DMUs. Interesting. Okay. Uh, both trains travelling to fish to the tunnel. The tunnel walls acting to keep the carriages upright. Yes, which is helpful. So in, in a way, the tunnel... you know sort of helped kind of keep things in one place because the trains are moving in the same direction it kind of kept things upright um helping limit some of the some of the consequences i would say um and then you can see that yeah this, this is the diagram again showing the the, the split of the of the trains here um and then uh, the diagram here showing uh, carriages yeah sorry this 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 picture this photograph then showing what the, the damage actually looked like you can see the displacement of the co- of, co- of the fourth coach of, of Foxtrot train walloped into the 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 tunnel portal wall, and the the fact that the um, the, the Lima train has kind of rotated quite substantially here in, in this kind of violent collision. Really, in fact, you can see the collision point. The train looks fine. Train looks fine, and then there's an obvious collision mark here from where it's been walloped, and then the damage uh, to the front of the vehicle there. Yeah, so a pretty pretty hefty bit of uh, bit of impact. Events following the accident. Uh, the driver of the train was uh, the driver of the Lima train was injured in the collision. was trapped in the heavily damaged cab. um So, you know, uh, within within seconds, really, certainly within minutes, the guard on the Lima train attempted to contact the driver. It was unsuccessful in doing so. The guard then tried to make a railway emergency call to the signaller using the jsmr train radio in the rear cab, but again, this was unsuccessful. They then used their mobile to contact the emergency services and provided the information from. 1845 until 1915 hours when they were met by responding fire and rescue personnel. So about half an hour to the to the emergency response. Um, uh, there we go. Uh, the driver of the Fox train felt the impact of the collision immediately, made a, a an emergency a railway emergency call, reporting to the signal at Salisbury that, that they believed their train had derailed. In response, the signal placed all signals in the area to red. so a pretty rapid response from, from, from the, the, the driver in the foxtrot train there, good stuff. On completion of the emergency call, the driver of the foxtrot train left their cab to investigate what had happened. that is their responsibility according to the rule book. They walked back through the train and found the rear two carriages had become detached, realizing then that another train may have collided with train Foxtrot uh, with, with his with uh, their train, uh, they returned to the cab. And made another rail emergency call to the signal to update them with this information. So, uh, good stuff there. Just uh, some some good driver doing there, you know, showing what drivers can do and being absolutely on it. Um, so, lots of discussion here. Both the train train operators mobilised on call teams. You know, Network Rail, Southwest Rail staff came in. Uh, RIB were notified. Damaged rail carriages prevented the movement of passengers between some carriages. Consequently, it was necessary to evacuate passengers simultaneously in both the front and rear of the trains involved um some passengers went to salisbury uh passengers and the remaining carriage were evacuated from the railroad trains and walked trackside to railway access gate okay fine um so and then we get the detailed analysis and we're gonna we're not gonna dwell on this but this there's some good data having kind of uh, i'm experiencing this with you together um I but there will it's likely to be some good analysis in here explaining. You know, we've, we've talked previously about um, about low adhesion events and about adhesion and how it works. We've talked about coefficients of friction. Um, here is some nice detail, uh, kind of some nice data and, and an explanation of wheel rail adhesion and how how that works. Um, so there's some there's kind of kind of updates and, and discussion about about rail contaminants, leaf fall. So there's there's kind of discussion here. So post accident examination of the up and down main lines. Um, showed that although the topography and tree species are very similar in number and density either side of the railway The levels of railhead contamination varied with contamination on the downline being medium to heavy at locations where It was only minimal on the adjacent upline This demonstrates how localized changes in wheel rail adhesion conditions can be. Yeah, absolutely um, So this this so let talk about the fact that network rail considers the autumn leaf season to run from the first of October to the 30th of December so start of October to the middle of December and throughout that process, runs uh, various systems to manage that, uh, including real head treatment trains that you'll see whizzing around, looking absolutely filthy. Uh, usually, a couple of class thirty sevens with 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 the gubbins in the middle, and they'll be like absolutely clarted. Usually, by the end of the day, they'll be like a they'll be completely covered in weathering spray. Um, uh, anyway, here's a here's an interesting picture showing the topography. Um, and uh, which is kind of a topography data showing the embankment cutting profiles, including the previously classified high risk of low adhesion site, which is the pink shaded area. Um, this is where the, uh, the the broken cross bridge and tree debris is, and this is where the driver was responding to the to what they know as a low adhesion area. So that was what the driver drivers, drivers responding for, which is why they were waiting a little bit before they applied the brake because they knew this was a a high risk area, um, and of course, ironically. That ended up that they had a low adhesion event further on. Um, there's also the discussion of weather and forecasting. So um uh, Met Desk Limited, um, not the Met Office, which is a, a shame. <sighs> anyway, such is life. Um, uh, so this is the, the kind of the Met Desk uh, data. Actually, some of these uh, have popped up recently as uh, showing how these are used in um, in the the, the PWI Earthworks and Drainage seminar we just had, which is which is really good. So it shows some of these systems in in use actually. Um, yeah, it talks about the fact there's a scale applied into, into kind of managing the risk from, the, from that weather. Um, yeah, EWAT is, is a kind of a, a discussion of kind of emergency weather. Call, basically, so they get all the key people in a call and, and talk about what the issues are, uh, talk about what the challenges are and what you know, what's going wrong, what's going right. Um, and so you get this, there you are, this discussion of the, this is basically talking about these risk management processes, really key risk management processes. So the processes and also the physical treatment so that the, you know, the RIB have gone into the physical treatment as well. So the railhead treatment, uh, monitoring and reporting of low adhesion. Here is the Wessex Integrated Control Centre showing what's going on. Let's get a nice, nice picture of uh, the control station. It looks, yeah, it looks kind of like a regular office, but you've got these, these workstations of people, you know, this is an intelligent infrastructure technician, lovely. Um, the autumn control desk. So it's a desk they basically switch on when it's autumn time, or they change it based on on seasonality, um, and then you'll have the signallers elsewhere. So this is an integrated. So this is the train operating company and Network Rail in the same place, kind of trying to solve problems, um, ostensibly um, yeah, dealing with all sorts of different challenges that you get in autumn. Like uh, for example, here you're on wrong side track circuit failures, as in tracks track circuits being activated or worse, deactivated um, because of conducting material of, of leaf mulch um, if you have a lot of railhead contamination or worse. So the other thing is actually that it insulates train wheels and stops the trains from activating track circuits so that the trains don't activate the track circuit, which obviously means it's difficult the signaling system can't then pick up where they are and avoid sending things into them. So this is again the process, the source of talking about the source of information, um, and then the audit regime of that as well. Um, so you can see, there's, there's there's forecast notices, engineering notices. There's there's a lot of processes here, and, and the RIB have kind of picked up and 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 looked and, and kind of viewed these. So the identification of the immediate cause, fine. We know that the the train passed the signal at de- the red signal at danger and could not stop forward colliding with the train, fine. Um, So, let's have a look. So, da, 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 the Foxtrot train was running around five minutes late, having been uh, due to traverse Salisbury Tunnel Junction uh, earlier. It was time to pass through the junction at 1823, but it was running around 20 minutes late, while the Lima train was scheduled through the junction at 1839, was running around four minutes late. The signer believed that the Foxtrot train would pass through Salisbury Tunnel Junction before... Uh, Lima 50 the, the Lima train and so they decided it would be more efficient to provide the Foster train with a clear route while holding the Lima train at sig- at the signal to protect the movement. Um, uh, yeah, network rail's policy and instructions for train regulation that's the process by which you decide what trains go where. The train regulation. At Salisbury requires signals to give priority to passenger trains from the Dean lines unless those trains are running late by five or more minutes. There's often the rules about particular areas because there's there's. there's empirical experience of what keeps the system moving smoothly and and what aggravates drivers the most and also where it's difficult or not difficult to start trains again if you've stopped a train or you know difficult to stop a train um so uh okay fine so train drivers are provided with the facility to make a railway emergency group call which will cause other drivers who receive the message to bring their trains to a stand immediately um The driver of the leaving train stated he was aware of this requirement but was hoping that the train's uh, wheel slip slide protection and brakes would slow the train before the junction. He was concerned that a train could be brought to a stop across the junction. By the time he saw uh, the signal was still at red, he was becoming distressed. Soon after, he saw the Foxtrot train approaching the junction and took action to leave the cab. Quite reasonable. RAB believes that, given the instruction, it is reasonable to assume that a driver is unlikely to decide to make a railway emergency group call until... They have seen that the protecting signal has remained at red and their train has continued to travel uncontrollably. Analysis undertaken by the RAIB indicates that in such circumstances, the driver of the Foxtrot train is unlikely to have received sufficient warning to bring that train to a stop before a collision. Fine. So, the causal factors now. So, these are the causal factors wheel rail adhesion was very low in the area where the driver of uh, tra- the lever train applied the, tra- the train's brakes. So, um, You know, this is kind of a key causal factor that's been identified. Um, Other causal factors, the driver did not apply the train's brakes sufficiently early on approach to the protecting signal to avoid running onto the junction, given the prevailing levels of wheel rail adhesion. So initially, yes, wheel rail adhesion was low in the area where the driver applied the brakes. Um, The brakes weren't applied early enough. The braking systems of the lever train were unable to mitigate the effects of the prevailing wheel rail adhesion. Each of these factors now to be considered in turn. So, Okay. The wheel the, the 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 wheel rail adhesion was very low in the area. Um and so this is kind of as a result of contaminated fallen leaf debris. Much of it as a result of the weather conditions since the last railhead treatment run, coupled with an increased density of vegetation and wet conditions from the band of drizzle that recently passed over. So uh, the RIB commissioned the University of Sheffield to conduct a detailed tribology friction survey at uh, 12 sample locations on the approach to the accident site. Uh, fine, so it's, there's some good stuff. So we, we talked about the the weather conditions of the day. Um, we've got here basically going, they went out and they plotted where the challenges were. So this is a really nice diagram explaining, firstly explaining where the that, that challenges were. So bearing in mind up to Broken Cross Bridge is where there's considered generally to be Problems with with um, adhesion, but actually in this case it was was bad. But um, actually the worst areas here, by indicated by the reds and blacks, are where the brake application just you know, by chance where that brake application was made. Actually it was imp- it was improving again towards the tunnel and then worse again at the very end. So yeah, really not not good, not not a lot of luck there in this situation. Uh, to give an idea of what that looks like contamination you know this is about how much silver is showing really um, lots of silver no contamination a bit of silver with a few little patches kind of light contamination medium contamination it's a bit of silver showing and then heavy contamination no silver showing heavy contamination you know, that's, it's, it's basically a sliding smear for the, the train to be running um, uh, Gareth no this is the this is the slippy this is the slippy train uh, situation Gareth Gareth um, uh, yeah, in the chat, by the way. Not, I'm not talking to myself here. Um, so here you can see the um, the railhead condition uh, where the brakes were being applied. You can see very heavy contamination. It's just, it's just, it's really not not good condition. Um, yeah. So interesting. So the fact that a tree had fallen. Add, may have added to the number of leaves on the on the line that getting smoothed across as well um we wet wheel rail adhesion levels on a contaminated head are significantly lower than dry adhesion levels um you know things like drizzle make everything absolutely worse because it creates an even slippier surface uh, you know anyone who's walked on wet paving slabs knows that 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 that, that rain that drizzle can actually be pretty dangerous um yeah so vegetation management let's talk about vegetation management let's very briefly uh you see here you know the discussion of how to manage vegetation there's a whole episode here i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do it justice by digging in and, and, and reading the text obviously it's pretty text heavy um here's some examples of um what vegetation management can result in the line looking like i mean these pictures are a little bit warped vertically um which is annoying but because the, the, the it doesn't look quite like that. They've stretched those. RRB, come on, don't don't always use the corner and hold shift. Don't don't stretch your images vertically. In any case, you can see what vegetation work can achieve. Um, and here's a pretty well. Wow, here's a pretty fancy diagram showing some some of the some of the different types of um, uh, yeah the the, the the leaf fall risk assessment data scores. Uh, kind of approaching approaching the problem site. Um, there's a as there's a good grief' there's the this is a table of high of, of of high risk low adhesion sites with track circuit reference lines and start and finish miles and change assessment um there we are so and here's a di- here's an RIib diagram showing the action zones from nowos um uh, on uh, off track standard um kind of showing how you deal with certain amounts of tree growth so action immediate action and then alert so it's just sort of saying that this is this is how you deal with the um, for, for indeed in this case you can see sort of they're showing where the signal is and so on and so forth I think one of the most painful pictures is is, is this collection of pictures here which is showing the vegetation on the approach to fishton tunnel as recent as the 1970s there is absolutely no tree growth and on the 1st of November 2021 where there is an enormous amount of tree growth, so there's a, there's a dramatic difference in the volume of you know in, in what in, in what vegetation we're looking at here. This the, this this phenomenon of the railways being a tree-lined um, uh, a tree-lined feature is, is a that's a new phenomenon. That's a recent phenomenon. Um, I'm not saying that it's an entirely bad phenomenon, but you know it certainly has serious consequences if that vegetation is not managed or if network rail is not funded well to um, to 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 deal with vegetation management. Um, ben Braithwaite here. Uh, tribology from the Greek um, word for rubbing. Uh, that's some uh, some some etymology there for you that might be familiar to um, to those with a more sordid bent. Um, witness and documentary evidence shows that uh, okay, so fine. There's this uh, discussion. The kind of there's a bit of bit of discussion about vegetation management. So we're going to kind of keep whizzing through here this is where it kind of then goes to network rails wessex Group had not effectively mitigated the railhead contamination so there was a you know, there was a problem clearly a reduced a reduced level of adhesion at the at the railhead it was not being mitigated correctly and and kind of we've gone through There's there's a lot of data operational data here going through this we're not going to dwell on it because it's it's the sort of thing you need to kind of read through yourself I, I mean reading it out loud is not great so let's jump for the driver's raking point why did the driver break later so um Basically, the driver decided to to, to brake later to do to respond to a uh, low adhesion area. That was that was the response. Um and uh yeah, so that's kind of consistent with what other drivers would say. Um testing of the of the you know, brake testing for the, the 159 showed that um, you know, in normal conditions the driver's decision would have been fine. But obviously we weren't talking about normal conditions at this situation. Um However, based on results from uh, WSP doing uh, doing some evalu- basically some wheel slide protection evaluation rig testing, um, suggests that had the driver applied the brakes as usual at Broken Cross Bridge, it's possible that the train would not have passed the the, the, the danger the, the signal that was at red, um, and if the brakes had been applied at the fallen tree, then it's likely that the train would have passed the signal at danger but the the collision would have been avoided or occurred at a much much lower speed. So the driver had intended to apply the brakes at at, at, at the fallen tree and missed the fallen tree, realized they missed the fallen tree, and then applied the brakes. So actually that braking position was quite a lot further on than had originally been intended. That would have been safe in normal conditions. It wasn't in these conditions. So let's let's kind of dig a little bit into the the decision of the driver to to make that, that braking position. Um and you can see here we have um a variety of, of kind of spreads of this is the good stuff REIB analysis is is having a look at what the art of the possible is and um and the grey line is what actually happened on the train. So we've got a couple of trains here, we've got um a kind of a more conventional uh brake approach, we've with with braking positions, we've got um slightly steeper uh, braking application but but still okay. Uh, this involves a, cr- a cruise, so the, the, the release here is that just the, the train kind of cruising here. Um you can see the different positions here. So sorry, so the blue line is a train cruising for longer than making a, a brake application. The orange is a train going at full tilt making a brake applica- application. Um and the grey line is the uh, is what happened to our lever train uh, in the in the instant in question you can see the brake application made quite substantially later than the position of the uh the tree debris um and there's the breaking point and there you can see a bit of redu- there's the um the speed let's have a look that's the untrained data recorder speed i think the line the, the 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 line there is inaccurate because of the fact that it's dealing with this the wheel slipping unslipping the dashed red line is the is the actual speed the train was doing here so the the the, the dishy-dashy stuff is because of of, of of you know this is the on-train data recorder so it's not actually measuring the real tr- tr- speed of the train. It's dealing with the wheels slipping about so you see the wheels it's like oh no it's stopped and it's like no no it's not it is oh no it's not and oh, no, it is that's why that's showing like that um it's quite an interesting diagram oh golly it's getting this is an annotated trace from the lever train showing the braking the activations of the signaling system in relation to that um other than the fallen tree the driver's understanding was that they'd, so basically waiting for the fallen tree be, because the because expecting leaf fall um the driver then did not expect problems beyond that point um and did not feel therefore that he needed to drive more defensively but there was information available to him that could have raised a concern about low adhesion um weather reports um for example um and so yeah this th- 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 that that's kind of so that there's doesn't quite add up here um, there's a discussion about signal spacing which is interesting here um, yeah the signaling at Salisbury Tunnel uh, Junction substantially predates uh, the, the kind of conventional standards um, so yeah it's it's the, the, yeah, everything's a bit tight in this area um, Oh, interesting I know it's the other way around so actually if the distance is significantly greater than the minimum, then this may lead drivers to continuing uh, drive, to drivers continuing at the permissible speed and trying to judge when to brake with the risk of um, signals passing at danger or braking early and coasting, leading to an increase in journey time and loss of capacity. So this is actually the other way around. The signals are too spaced out here. Actually, they're, they're they're too spaced out, which leads to judgments on the driver's side, which is often fine. But in this case, you you result in. Um, this can make mean you know it, it can lead to issues here where you've got a lot of different variables at play uh you know degraded working conditions um and and a, and a mistake being made which is kind of what's happened here isn't it um Witness evidence indicates the driver did not break until the later point because he did not recognized that he passed the fallen tree. RIB cannot be certain from the available evidence how accurate the driver's appreciation was of the fallen tree's location. He had specifically been looking for the fallen tree on his journey up to London earlier in the day, having been previously told about it. Okay, so he, it's not the same driver who hit the tree. We um, were just aware of it. Okay, that, that that's cleared that up. I thought it would. Um, there's how visible that fallen tree is. It was not hugely visible. Um, it was not sufficiently conspicuous in the environment on that evening because it had been kind of cut back and, and dealt with a bit by the time it was being passed. Um yeah, so this discussion of that driver awareness. Um yeah, driver's acknowledgement the AS horn may imply some awareness of the driving task. Research has shown that such responses can be automatic with little conscious awareness. Um it's possible so basically the Army are saying it is possible that the driver did not see the fallen tree because he experienced a temporary loss of awareness of the driving task um so this is this is this is kind of you know air accident investigation type stuff here was there a microsleep was there a loss of concentration the driver was over 63 years old um by some by some measure as it seems he was subjected to an annual medical examination in accordance with um uh, the, the the rail industry standard uh, train driver's suitability and medical fitness requirements um so you see that goes through general assessment fine. The RIB found no evidence of distraction from electronic devices or the cab environment. Post-accident toxicology did not identify the presence of any drugs or alcohol. The RIB has also found no evidence from the driver's roster or sleep pattern or any medical evidence of a sleep disorder to that he may have been suffering from fatigue. RIB also found no evidence of any pre-existing medical condition or medical treatment that could have caused a temporary loss of awareness or that might have affected the driver's perception, memory or attention, although the presence of an unknown medical condition of this nature cannot be entirely discounted. So it's kind of saying, actually, the chances are the driver was aware of what was going on at that moment. Um, And then we move into the train's braking systems. So this this gets techy, this bit, so we were talking about sand volumes and and various bits and pieces. you know, top ups of sandbags. Uh, so, RIB concludes that the maintenance and preparation of the train were unlikely to have had any influence on the accident. Systems appeared to been working fine. The uh, the the electric controls of the system were working fine. Um, it seems to be that the uh, yes, yeah, so let's see. Results from these tests suggest that neither a six-carriage nor a nine-carriage formation braking from the same location as, as the Lima train on the night of the accident would have been able to stop before the collision point, assuming they would encountered the same initial wheel rail conditions. So it's just sort of looking at whether whether the improved traction you get from multiple wheels might have increased the chance of the train stopping. They don't believe so. Interesting. So this is looking at stopping distances from, from 55 miles an hour, different cons- configurations. There we are to see you know, unsanded trains going to slide along for longer. Drawing clean rail, it's going to stop very rapidly, and then in the middle you've got different sanders applying different rates. So, um, fixed rate sanders, double fixed rate sanders, and single variable rate sanders, and double variable rate sanders. So there are lots of different ways to make sure that the, the, you know you, you get traction back at the wheel rail interface. You, you make that you overcome the low adhesion event. So. And then some underlying factors. You know, one of the underlying factors being network rails, west root not Wessex route not effectively managing the risks of low adhesion associated with the leaf fall season. Okay. So um you know we've got we can go through here some, some the breaking locations and the, the predicted leaf fall assessments. Um this mm-hmm. is where we get into dealing with the work bank of um you know, kind of is the, the ellipse work bank in terms of overall response to I presume this is just you know, there's various tasks. There's all tasks, not just the uh, leaf clearance is this is it just the off-track team? I mean, let me have a look. Um, oh Yeah, this is I Think this is yeah, this is number of tasks. I presume this is Vegetation work Let's see Just picking through the text. It's very blocky chunks of text on here. Um, Although the COVID-19 pandemic had restricted visual on foot assessments of line-side vegetation, cab ride video assessment of line-side vegetation would still be completed. The section manager reported that although vegetation growth was identified, this related to work that had previously been identified and reprioritised. Off-Track staff report that its increasing workload combined with a shortage of resources between May and August 21 meant that it could not address the existing work bank and that the delivery unit was maintenance delivery unit was firefighting in response to a rising incident uh, Yeah, that's the story of Network Rail's life at this point. Additionally, witness evidence is that there is also a perceived problem with the availability of contractors. Consequently, the MDU did not have the time or resources to prioritise and plan the vegetation assessment and management work. So, work bank, climbing, ability to deliver, not there. Hmm, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, so, okay, so let's, let's kind of push forwards and understand that. There's track access, inspections, um, this is kind of, uh, yeah, okay, fine. We're going to keep pushing. Okay, so there's understand... RIB then looked at the understanding of railhead treatment effectiveness. Um, this is interesting. Okay, so witness and documentary evidence also shows the plant actually the really, the lack of clear guidance on how long a railhead treatment train remains uh, railhead treatment remains effective has led to standard treatment patterns being used narrowil's Wessex route applies a regime of two railhead treatment runs per week uh, each weekday and one per day at weekends however there appears to be little scientific justification for this pattern uh, the SDS uh, did not consult others um the special SD, uh, the Seasons Delivery Specialist, that's it. Um, let's see. The, the, the Seasons Delivery Specialist does not consult others, such as Network Rail's technical authority, when determining it, and witness uh, witness evidence shows there was a lack of understanding within Western crew as to whether the aspiration at weekends was for one run each calendar day or a maximum interval between treatment runs of 24 hours. Ouch, Okay. Witness and documentary evidence also shows the planned treatment at weekends was frequently delayed or cancelled in Network Rail's Wessex route without any assessment of the risk or alternative mitigations being implemented. This was the case for the MPV treatment on the 31st of October despite the poor weather forecast for the weekend being received on the 29th of October. This unmitigated delay had become the accepted practice and provides further evidence of a lack of understanding of how effective railhead treatment was was at controlling low adhesion risk ouch so that's pretty scathing um so we have a situation where the the one tool we have in our arsenal the fantastic tool we have in our arsenal is the railhead treatment train it was not being used effectively and it was you know not not running frequently enough so and there's a whole section about competence management we're going to launch our way through that um as well um Southwestern Railway had not effectively prepared its drivers for assessing and reporting low adhesion conditions. This is a possible underlying factor. Okay, so SWR um, not actually doing enough to prepare its drivers. Um, interesting, okay. Okay. Um, RAIB has concluded that the general reduction in reporting of low adhesion was likely to be a result of a combination of Southwestern Railway's briefings to drivers, changes in and confusion over reporting requirements, and the introduction of the flip charts. Well, that's talked about later or earlier. Sorry, uh, we won't worry about the flip charts for now. Basically, the processes uh, in place uh, that has impacted on drivers. Drivers' appreciation of low adhesion events. There may also have been some effect due to the changes in rail services seen in autumn 2020 due to the pandemic. Similarly, if drivers had experienced reportable levels of adhesion on the day of the accident, some of these factors may have contributed to them not making any formal um, reports reports of low adhesion to the signaler. If there had been a report of low adhesion that day, the signaller would have been required to broadcast GSMR messages to all drivers, warning them of the conditions, and this might have altered the risk perception of the Lima train driver. I think that's quite a that's quite a clear um, finding from the RAIB there Um the TPWS installation at the signal the red signal was not compliant with network requirements for new signal design. interesting um, uh, so yeah incorporating that so it should have incorporated a higher approach speed um, and this would improve the effectiveness of TPWS in preventing collisions um, interesting yeah okay so there's some underlying underlying issues overrun risk assessments, um, not accounting for um, low adhesion sites, um, yeah, uh, that's interesting as well. Um, nor does the identification of a new uh, real you know, kind of low, low adhesion site trigger a reassessment of signal overrun risk. Oh, that's a shortcoming. I hope it's going to be resolved. So let's uh, look at factors of affecting the severity of the consequences. So this is the crashworthiness section. Uh, we've got some various trains that have smashed into each other um parked up here here is the um the view of the cab uh, you can just see it's additional damage was caused by the fire and rescue service during the extraction of the injured uh train driver so there's substantial initial damage there to the to the cab um yeah there's a loss of survival space in the driver's cab um because there's not actually enough good quality cab protection for the driver here so that the initial impact between the two trains was between the front left corner of the driver's cab and a point around leading right-hand side passenger doors of the fourth carriage of the Foxtrot train. Fine. Um, the driver's cab suffered a loss of survival space. It was likely to have led to serious or fatal injuries to the driver had he not vacated his seat just before impact. Examination of the surviving parts of the cab structure from the leading carriage showed that the front left cab corner pillar became overloaded and failed. This pillar would have carried much of the force resulting from the collision. Um, this is talking about the fact that the design um, uh, was based on uh, an older UIC standard, uh, 566 uh, crashworthiness standard. Um, yeah, fine, lovely. Unlike modern standards, um, it did not define specific collision scenarios to assess the crashworthiness performance of the carriage in the event of an accident. Um, so, you know, what happened to the body structure when different loads um, hit it? So, it as with our famous HST, uh, the 158 is not actually designed to meet any specific crash requirements, although it's a much you know, it's a, it's a stronger vehicle, of course. Um, nevertheless, as the class 158 body structure was an early application of welded aluminium to UK train construction, a considerable amount of work was undertaken at that time to understand its crash performance. Part of this work included assessing its crash performance against an emerging internal BRB standard, British Rail Standard, uh, structural requirements for the bodies of multiple unit vehicles, which contained collision scenarios. Um, a 1989 BR report concluded that when assessed against um, uh, those requirements, the Class 158 is not a good crashworthy structure. High force levels and low energy absorption at low impact velocities are evident with deceleration levels approximately twice the suggested values. Um, in 1991, the Class 158 cab structure was crush-tested in a controlled environment. The British, The BR uh, concluded that the energy absorbed by the cab ends in the test was sufficiently high to meet BR's latest standard, but the peak forces generated during the test were much higher than in comparable steel vehicles, and the mode of deformation rather aggressive. Hmm, so it's pointing out that aluminium not performing quite as they would like it to uh, here as the proof strength uh, of a class 158 cab structure would like to be similar to a modern equivalent raib has not made a specific recommendation relating to the driver's cab of the class 158 the more general question on the crash weatherness performance of traction and rolling stock which predates modern crash weatherness requirements was identified in recommendation 19 of the raib investigation into the accident at carment in scotland yes absolutely the other issue here is the the internal sliding doors in on the 158 caused a, a lot of issues um uh, so the, yeah, the 158 and 159 trains have their exterior doors located at each end of the body of the area adjacent to these doors, commonly referred to as the vestibule, is separate from the main saloon area by biparting sliding doors. The purpose of these doors is to improve passenger comfort by isolating the saloon areas from drafts when the exterior doors are open. Absolutely. Um, each saloon to vestibule door has two leaves. These meet in the middle of the doorway and are power operated such that each leaf opens to its respective side. The vestibule doors are electro- uh, electrically operated and each leaf moves on runners located above the door aperture. Um, internal CCTV image showing passengers trying to prise vestibule door open in the rear carriage of Lima 53. Oh, golly. OK. Um, analysis of CCTV footage recovered from the carriage interviews with witnesses identified that in the aftermath of the accident, at least three of these doors were unavailable to passengers. Although no injuries occurred because of these doors becoming jammed, the carriage were in a tunnel and some diesel fuel had been spilled. Blockage of otherwise viable egress routes is therefore evidently undesirable and may result in passengers panicking and or injuring themselves when seeking alternative routes as part of an uncontrolled evacuation. Examination of the carriages after recovery found two further jammed vestibule sliding doors. They were the trailing door of... Uh, okay, fine, yeah, yeah. Um. So... Uh, There we go. Da, 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 da. There's a discussion of the role of the safety authority uh, here. Um, they're basically saying that... orr uh, took some action, but... Mm, did not, yeah. It's basically say, I, I don't know. For me, it's always it's a case of like the is just toothless really when it comes to dealing with this stuff because ultimately there's only so much Network Rail can do with the funding that it has available to it. Um, so there's a section here talking about previous occurrences of a similar character, so it's, uh, it's fine. It's a few different discussions and, and and picking out the relevance there. Um, so the summary of the conclusions, uh, as you can see here, we know the immediate cause, um, we know the causal factors and the underlying factors. We've kind of gone through that that detail, um. Previous recommendations that had the potential to address one or more factors in the report. Um, so it's talking about uh, operational management again. There is a failure in operational management here that you know that, that was a serious problem. Um, and then the cab of trains. You're know, looking at uh, modern crashworthiness standards and how to respond to those. Um, so let's see what's but what's interesting here is we get to see what's been happening since that recommendation was made in Carmen. so the rr report that it hosted a meeting on the 6th of april 2022 with owners and operators of class 43 high speed trains together with government bodies and rssb to consider how recommendation 19 should be addressed recommendation 19 from the Carmen report if you don't remember by the way was um to understand the risks from the cab um mitigate Similar risks associated with the operation of other types of mainline rolling stock without decent crashworthiness or any crashworthiness or modern crashworthiness compliance. Um but it's about um a proper evaluation of that risk. Um after reviewing the information provided by the bodies and organizations responsible for implementing recommendation nineteen the R, I concluded that in accordance with the um the Railway Accident Investigation and Reporting Regulation 2005, RSSB had taken the recommendation into consideration and is taking action to implement it. The recommendation remains open at this time of report. So basically, they had a meeting and that's enough for them to think that they've satisfied the requirements. Come on, RSSB, do better. Do better. Um... Okay, so our actions reported is already taken or in progress relevant to this report. So there's a bit of discussion of some of the stuff post common Really, a lot, a lot, of this uh, you know, training, uh, more autumn management stuff. Fine, fine, fine. Wessex Group already kind of taking actions as a result of the joint industry investigation. So basically, this this report's come obviously a while after the incident. So there's lots of stuff that that, that has that the industry responded internally more quickly because it can, and um, so it's having a you know. Uh, had its first National Low Adhesion Conference in February 2023, New York Rail. Um, So kind of, that's good, but obviously not enough. Um, Okay, so there's there's kind of some discussions of stuff that's going on. Southwestern Railways has has made some changes. Um, uh, Yeah, okay, so fine. GWR as well. Um, Yeah, okay, fine, Grant. I'm conscious of time, so I'm, I'm kind of hammering through this. So, what are the recommendations? Because we've, we've kind of understood what the problems are here. Um, yeah. So, the intent, So, first recommendations. The no, recommendation number one: um, Network Rail should consider the findings from this report to inform a review of the process standards and guidance documents and supporting management arrangements related to the management of a leaf fall low adhesion risk the review should result where appropriate in the creation or revision of documents suitable to support Rail staff in having appropriate understanding of the risks when creating autumn working arrangements plenty of other detail in that recommendation um next recommendation eric rail building on the work that has already started in this area should develop an appropriate competency framework for the role of the seasoned delivery specialist this is painfully close to what was being said at carmen after carmen as well and the third recommendation is network rail should produce a time-bound program to train and assess the competence of off-track maintenance staff in the requirements of uh, competence management for drainage drain and line-side. Okay, fine. I, I think Mona Sohoto will be on that. But, um, yes, yeah, so there's clearly a, 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 some competence issues here. Recommendation four, network rail working in cooperation with the train operators, RSSB, and other relevant stakeholders should undertake research into real-time data that could be used to give an indication of we are really conditions on its network and how this could be used to support operational decisions. Yeah, some innovation could could take place there, which would be very useful. Um, whether it's on track or on train mounted kit, that's certainly worthwhile. Uh, recommendation five, network should undertake research to better understand the factors that affect the rate of buildup of leaf fall contamination relationship between different types of contamination and low railhead adhesion and the effectiveness and longevity of currently available alternative railhead treatment regimes. Well, there's that episode. There was about 200 different options they had for different sorts of treatments, going from like high-pressure water jets to lasers to God knows what else. Um, lots to think about there. Uh, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Ten recommendations. So recommendation 6 is, is looking at the signaling standard um, to ensure that signal overrun risk assessments include uh, high risk of low adhesion sites. Uh, Recommendation seven, network rail should review the decision not to respectively apply um, uh, the the TPWS standard to existing signals. Um, And uh, number eight, uh, recommendation eight, Southwestern Railway should review its arrangements for training and briefing drivers to ensure they are able to effectively identify areas of low adhesion. Recommendation nine, the rail delivery group uh, working with the train operating companies and our SSB should create a framework and mechanism for the assessment of future Technologies to enable trains to better cope with low adhesion when braking. okay? And Recommendation 10 is to the, Ros- the Roscos the Roscoe's portable games trains never short rail working in conjunction with the operators of class 158 and 159 trains Should review the design of the internal sliding doors on these carriages and determine if there's a practical means to prevent these doors becoming Jammed in the event of a collision uh, This should develop a time-bound plan to implement measures identified by this review. So there you go 10 recommendations um, what else is there to look at and that's 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 that folks that's that's that so the question really at that point is you know what do you think that, that we've, we've gone through the report we've, we've got an understanding of um, of kind of what's happened Gareth asks a very interesting question what follow-up is there by RAIB on their recommendations or do they make recommendations then forget everything about them until the next accident Legally, that's basically what they have to do. They make recommendations, and that's all they're allowed to do. They, they there's no legal obligation outside of the Rail Accident and Investigation Act, whatever it is. Um, th- 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 there has to be a response, but they don't, there's no legal obligation to do to carry out an act on the recommendations from the RIB. Um, th- they have no teeth. They're not regulated. They have no teeth to. Um, you know, chase organizations to, to have delivered the, the recommendations they merely all they can do is, is make the recommendations and and hope that you know people like you and me and and ministers or, or others hold or are held hold the industry to account or are held by to account by by journalists you know, activists engineers whoever it is um, yeah that's a good question. Barry Shepherd's asking why they didn't recommend trimming vegetation back. Yes, it wasn't a recommendation, really, was it? About vegetation management. I think there was, um, yeah, there was nothing about. You know, it's a shame that the RIB cannot make a recommendation like um, government should fund network rail properly to carry out effective vegetation management. I can understand why that is isn't the case, but yeah, there wasn't much about vegetation management there was there, despite it being picked up as a, as a, as a, you know, a a a cause uh, a cont- contribution as the RIB implied or, or explicitly stated by their their series of pictures pointing out the 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 before and after in terms of vegetation um so Cora says uh, could a lack of follow-up be later considered criminal negligence at a later accident possibly <laughs> yeah i suppose I, I i'm not a lawyer so i don't exactly know how that would work but i, I suppose perhaps that could be something that, you know, you could be challenged on as as as, 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 as not satisfying your, your your legal requirements under you know, as a competent person, uh, yeah, that's certainly it's certainly a possibility. Um, any any other thoughts? Yeah, no. If, I've, hopefully that I don't know. Hopefully it's certainly interesting for me to go through that and 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 get a feel for for the, some of the challenges that that occurred there. Yeah, I think vegetation management is something that I didn't I expected that to be picked up more than it was actually. It's certainly the recommendation end. But we can see that actually a lot of the issues here are operational. There are operational challenges. Those aren't necessarily about money. Um, you know, the decisions about running the railhead treatment train. That that's pretty pretty shocking to see. That that is, it's upsetting. It's something that's obviously a, a well used piece of kit that has obvious positive effects. Um, maybe pick up some questions momentarily. But I'm gonna I'm gonna draw things to a close at this point. Um, everyone. Um, thanks to all the audio only listening folks. Um uh it's good to um it is good to good to have you along for the ride um uh do continue to review and send comments or answer the queries or whatever it is i don't know where we're at in this spotify tables anymore uh I certainly don't I, I never receive any notifications anyway but maybe i should start doing things through spotify and not through uh, podbean anyway i don't know i don't know what the benefits and dis would be to that uh the people in the yeah, producers in the uh, in the discord server let me know and um, talking of which uh, uh, garthens.uk slash discord is where you can be in the discord server uh, come join us it's chaos in there paypal.me slash garthens for loose change and abuse garthens.uk slash merch for the now limited edition merchandise uh, we'll update the graphics of the rail now logo in there at some point and uh, patreon.com slash garthens to support me and so we can make more of this happen um, uh, and also if you're a patron supporter you very much are one of the producers you get to tell me, you get to boss me around um, we have uh, yeah, what, what have we got going, we have um, a, previously we had 8,685 uh, YouTube uh, subscribers, we're now currently that was louder than I intended it to be we are currently at 9,300, in fact are we because if I go here, um, press F5, no we're not, we're at, we're at 9,304 subscribers. So you can, people right now can subscribe and the numbers will go up. Uh, look at that. You can see that's a nice little, little uh, if, we look, um, if we look kind of the last, this year, you can see we have had a nice, since I kind of made the point of please subscribe, it has worked. People have subscribed. We're climbing and climbing. We want to get to the 10,000 number. Come on. We want to we get there. And uh, if you look at the whole lifetime, you can see that, that not, not many subscribers, zero and then uh, a bit of a climb that was nice and then it climbed up a thousand I made a big leap in uh what was that leap a leap in the early part of 2021 uh and then we, we hit the, we crossed the 5000 threshold in uh later part of 2021 uh little, little spikes here and there a couple more of you have subscribed thanks to those people who've just subscribed that's exciting isn't it and then um, and then here we are at 9306 subscribers we want to get to ten thousand by the end of the year come on folks we can do this we can do this we can do this um anyway so thanks for that next week zach is joining us F- very good friend of the show Episode 193 an illustrated history of jerseys tram and railways tramways and railways that this is going to be a fun one i'm I'm looking forward to this it's, it's something totally different uh something nice a bit of nice history uh some interesting stuff and, and some some rise and fall type stories um to understand uh what was uh what was going on in, uh, on, on the, the island of Jersey uh, so that should be interesting a nice nice, relaxed one I think uh, well worth joining in it'd be a nice live one that's next week I'll see you all there um, some, some some last sort of points being uh, being picked up uh, so uh, Jack um, uh, HST Productions would it not be better for the RR to investigate accidents as they would have the power to enforce recommendations stop talks operating if they're following no I don't think so the RR is not um, is not impartial uh, and, and they're also fairly toothless, so I, d- I don't think there'd be any benefit to that. Uh, there'd be the risk that the ORR would try to manage the politics too much. The ORR are already a very politicised organisation, so I think there'd be too much challenge that the, the ORR would, would not be an objective, impartial report. No, no, the ORR are an excellent organisation and should remain Should remain exactly as they are and, and, and doing what they do. What we need to have is a is a commitment to delivering on the recommendations. I think that's the, that's the challenge. Um, on which note, given that it's 21.34 and high time we all went to bed, Um, I'm going to leave you all in peace and quiet it's been a pleasure and I will see you all next week cheerio